0: It's time to think about the Bible like you never have before. This is Christian Questions. After the podcast, check out everything ChristianQuestions.com has to offer. Also see our weekly video series releases at ChristianQuestions.com slash YouTube. Now, here's your hosts, Rick and Jonathan.
1: Zaid Abdelnauer once said, Trust is earned, respect is given, and loyalty is demonstrated betrayal of any one of those is to lose all three i'm rick and this is not your typical christian commentary as we look at bible related topics from a different perspective and joining me as always is jonathan my co-host for more than two decades
2: this podcast centers on godly principles family values and honest dialogue in a politically free zone
1: so jonathan what is our topic for today's episode
2: Well, Rick, our question is, what does it mean to take God's name in vain? And our theme text is found in Exodus chapter 20, verse 7. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not leave him unpunished who takes his name in vain.
1: Okay, so coming up in today's podcast, is it inappropriate to flippantly use God's name? Well, of course it is. But is that what taking God's name in vain is all about? Actually, not really. Turns out there's much more to it than that. In our first couple of segments, we're going to drill down to the surprising core of the matter. Have you ever thought about the possibility you may be involved in taking God's name in vain in church? Now wait, how can that be? Well, segment three reveals the kind of conditions to look for. And what about our own thoughts? Can they bring us to a point of misusing God's name? Absolutely. Segment four shows us what to be aware of. And finally, how do we take God's name with reverence? And that is what segment five will be all about. So Jonathan, there's a lot to cover here. What does it mean to take God's name in vain? Our society is so advanced, we can access the world from the palm of our hand. It's so sophisticated, we can communicate our thoughts globally in an instant, and it's so self-absorbed We can design a reality with our own ego at its center. In the ancient history of the Jewish nation, the third of the Ten Commandments said not to take God's name in vain. Now, we typically think of people using the name of God in a flippant, careless, or disrespectful way as taking his name in vain. While that's true, it's not the point of that commandment. On the contrary, all of what society has become presents a much more accurate picture of what taking God's name in vain is all about. The fact is, it has become painfully easy to disrespect God. Painfully easy. So what should we be looking out for? So Jonathan, we just dug a big hole that we have to go search inside and figure out what this is all about.
2: And wow, uh, going through it, there
1: is so much to it,
2: I, I never knew it. So I'm excited about this topic.
1: So let's dig right in. First, let's take a look at the immediate context of that third commandment, and that would be the first two commandments that come just before it. Exodus chapter 20, verses 2 through 5.
2: I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourselves an idol or any likeness of what is in heaven above or on earth beneath or in the water under the earth. You shall not worship them or serve them for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children.
1: So we have the first two commandments and you know, most everybody listening is probably very familiar with the way the commandments go. You shall not ha- you shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself any idol or any graven image and so forth. So to connect these first two commandments, God must always be first in your heart and mind. That's what the first command- in, in, commandment is about. It's about something that's inside of you. Have no other God before me. What are you thinking? What are you feeling? That's where the first commandment lives, inside of your heart and mind. Idolatry, the subject of the second commandment, is an outward manifestation of an inward lack of fidelity to the one God. So idolatry is the outward manifestation of the breaking of that first commandment. Idolatry sets us on a path that further disregards the most sacred allegiance any human can ever be privileged with, that is to have God's name or God be the only God in your life. So, and Rick,
2: no one can read the heart. So no one knows yeah, exactly yeah. where you are in that inward uh, position um, because some people can be hypocritical.
1: And that's why these next two commandments end up being so important because what goes on on in the inside inevitably comes out in the outside somehow or other, as we will see. So those are the first two Have no other gods before me, no graven images. The third commandment, Exodus chapter 20, verse 7. You shall not
2: take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not leave him unpunished who takes his name in vain.
1: Okay, take the name of the Lord your God in vain. There's two important words here. What does that word take mean from the Hebrew lexicon?
2: Well, Rick, it means to lift up, bear up, carry, take,
1: lift up, support. Okay, so it really has the idea of carrying something. It does. Okay, so this, we, we need to go a little bit deeper with this. So let's look at Exodus chapter 6, verse 8 as another example of that word being used in a slightly different way.
2: And I will bring you in unto the land concerning the which I did swear to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, and I will give it you for inheritance. I am the Lord. I, I didn't hear taken there. Rick, it's the word swear, which I did swear to give to you. Same word.
1: So the thought behind that word is God is saying, I carry the responsibility of the promise that I gave to Isaac. So when it says, take the name of the Lord your God in vain, it's the carrying of the responsibility of God's name. That's really kind of what it's talking about here. So the idea behind take is to hold or possess or to carry, to have whatever you're holding be, in a sense, a form of your signature. You know, when you sign your name to something, Jonathan, it's supposed to mean something, right?
2: Oh, absolutely.
1: And a signature on a legal document is binding. Mm. Taking God's name, we suggest, is binding. That's what we're talking about here. Go ahead.
2: So, Rick, uh, in essence, we're signing ourselves over uh, to carry God's name. We're claiming his name with our
1: life. Yes. So, you take the Lord God's name. Now, what does it mean to take it in vain? What does that word vain mean? And we'll go again to the Hebrew uh, lexicon.
2: Well, it means emptiness, vanity, falsehood, nothingness, emptiness of speech, lying, worthlessness of conduct. Well, that doesn't sound very good at all. Not at all, no. And this makes me think of nominal Christianity. Nominal means in name only. Rick, it's empty. Instead, we need to cherish God's name.
1: And, you know, we're going to get into how this all works, but so the, 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 the taking, the bearing up, the signing on to God's name in vain means a signing on, and an emptiness in the follow-through. That's really what it's it's talking about. And a couple of other uses of the word for vain. Exodus uh, 23, verse 1.
2: Thou shalt not raise a false report. Put not thine hand with the wicked to be an unrighteous witness. Okay, the word... And and the word false is that word for vain.
1: Okay, empty. You shall not raise an empty report, a report that doesn't have any substance. That's what it means in that verse. Uh, another another example, Psalm f- uh, 24, verses 3 and 4.
2: Who shall ascend into the hill of the Lord? Or who shall stand in his holy place? He that hath clean hands and a pure heart, who hath not lifted up his soul unto vanity, nor sworn deceitfully. And, and Rick, that word vanity is that same word.
1: So, and, and you, So you have not lifted up your soul in an empty way. And vanity really, look, Folks, let's face it, okay? Let's all just be honest. When it's all about me, it's all about nothing. It's all about emptiness. That's really what it boils down to when we're talking about godly things. So the idea behind vain is that of falsehood or an exaggerated and uh, fantasy view of what's real. Taking, holding, signing on to the Lord's name in an exaggerated or fantasy view of God's name is not a good idea. Not a good place to be. That's what we're talking about here. So let's let's wrap this up, Jonathan, for this segment.
2: Taking God's name in vain is to possess the name of God as a signature of your life when in fact it is a forgery, a false, or frivolous representation of who you really are.
1: So for a beginning, that's an awfully harsh and straightforward statement to make. Okay. Now, this is downright disturbing. It seems that taking God's name in vain is the epitome of hypocrisy.
2: When God gave Israel those first three commandments, was he saying more than meets the eye?
0: What's up, everybody? It's your CQ voiceover guy, reminding you we also want to talk to you before and after the podcast. Send us a message at christianquestions.com for any and all feedback, or message us on our social media channels. Have a topic idea or just questions about what we're talking about? Reach out at christianquestions.com.
1: Whenever we examine God's Word, we always find levels of meaning, and these commandments are no exception. Each of the first three do stand on their own, but combining them into a process that shows the consequences of straying away from loyalty to God adds a broader base of understanding. We're going to focus on that, looking at that in, in these next several segments.
2: In each of our segments, we have an Upholding God's Sacred Name theme, Our first is, be alert to the devious seeds of
1: doubt. Okay, so we're going to focus on the devious seeds of doubt as something that we need to have our eyes open to. And, you know, we're talking about these first three commandments. The destructive commandment-breaking process that ends up in broken loyalty is what these first three commandments actually are all about, especially if we put them together to tell us the story— So based on the first commandment, Jonathan, where where does doubt fit in? Well, doubting
2: God within your heart and mind.
1: And you said it in the first segment. It's the first commandment is really about what goes on inside of you. And when we have another God before God inside of ourselves, it's because of some kind of doubt. Inevitably, there's a basis of doubt there. And that leads us to something else, which has to do with the second commandment about not making idols.
2: Looking for other more tangible objects of worship and security.
1: When we doubt God, we look automatically for other objects of worship and security. Not a good thing. And that brings us to the theme of the third commandment about not taking God's name in vain. And what is that?
2: Continuing to outwardly carry the name of God while finding security and allegiance in earthly things.
1: See, that's a mouthful to outwardly carry the name of God while finding my security and my allegiance in earthly things. This should not
2: be. Well, Rick, who is accountable uh, to take the God's name in vain? Is it everybody?
1: You know, that's a, <laughs> that's a huge question, because when you think about it, who was given the Ten Commandments? Moses and the Israelites. God's chosen people. So who was accountable to the law, to those Ten Commandments? Was it everybody else, all the other nations of the world, or was it God's chosen people?
2: God's chosen people only.
1: So when we look at taking God's name in vain, it's so easy to say, all these people around me, they say these not nice things, and they're taking God's name in vain. Folks, it's about God's chosen. It's not about them. Now, what they do, not a good thing, but it's not about them. This is about us. So let's go to a soundbite that deals with the words because you know the words are part of this. We're not we are not going to spend a lot of time on the words, but the soundbites uh, will. This is from Got Questions Ministries uh, about is saying OMG or words like G's still taking the Lord's name in vain.
0: We could all use the reminder that our words carry meaning. As people who follow Christ, we care deeply about helping others and honoring God. We must ask ourselves, do these words help others and honor God? If we are honest, probably not. It may not be easy to change a long-standing habit, but we must seek to speak words that build up one another and honor the Lord. Our goal is to be consistent in our words so that they would serve as a blessing to God and to others. This stands as our basis for evaluating terms such as OMG and G's. Does using these words give thanks to God the Father? If not, begin working to remove these words from your conversations and text messages in order to honor God in word
2: and deed. Well, Rick, you know, I don't know if I agree with uh, that word, geez, uh, being what he said it meant. Uh, I I always thought it was a combination of gee whiz, which has nothing to do with Jesus. You know, it's, it's about surprise or frustration. I just never knew there was a connection there.
1: Well, and, and you were telling me before, before we started the podcast that you looked it up, and actually there is a kind of a connection there, as well as other things.
2: In some definitions, yeah. it is there. So, yeah. you
1: know what? It's something to be aware of, and something to be careful of, in terms of our own language. But that's the thing. It's about our own language.
2: And so, if it's just not about swearing, like the OMG example, you know, what does taking God's name in vain look like in practical terms? So, I have a, an example, and tell me what you think, Rick. Okay. Anyone who quotes the Bible out of context to justify a sinful choice, is that taking God's name in vain?
1: Oh my goodness, absolutely yes. <laughs> you know, I mean, think about this. <laughs> what we've done by doing such a thing is I've become God, and I'm going to take the Word of God, and I'm going to twist it to fit my desire. God's name is reflected in God's Word. Let us never go down that road so be careful of that that's a that's a good example and unfortunately a common example okay let's look at israel israel shortly after being given god's ten commandments walked this destructive path that we're talking about in in dealing with these first three commandments what 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 happened at the beginning
2: well first rick they doubted god because moses was absent from their presence he went up the mountain, and where'd he go?
1: <laughs> yeah he he was gone for a long time, and we know that uh in exodus thirty two verse one now when the people saw
2: that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people assembled about Aaron and said to him, "Come, make us a God who will go before us. as for this Moses, the man who brought us up from the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him
1: okay where like you said, where did he go? what happened uh so they're wondering and they're doubting. You see, they have doubts now. All of a sudden, the doubts kind of came out of nowhere. So here's the question: Do we ever have doubts when we can't see God's providence and lead- leadings clearly? Israel was beginning to wonder; they weren't seeing God's leadings immediately the way they wanted to see them. So doubt had set in. Ta- you know, no other gods before me. Doubt was the first thing to set in. What happened next?
2: Well, they pursued alternative worship, creating a pagan god just like the
1: Egyptians. And you think about it, just like who? (laughs) The Egyptians that were
2: taskmasters over them.
1: Yeah, I mean, you really wonder about that. Exodus chapter 32, verses 3 and the first part of verse 4. Then all
2: the people tore off the gold rings which were on their ears and brought them to Aaron. He took this from their hand and fashioned it with a graveling tool and made it into a molten calf.
1: So they brought all the stuff. Aaron actually fashioned this calf. And so you have a, a slippery slope of destruction happening right before your very eyes here. And we look at that and we say, oh, yeah, well, you know, shame on them. Well, look, what about us? Do our inward doubts ever manifest themselves in outward actions of ungodliness that others, that all can see. What do I do that might manifest the kind of idolatry that Israel was experiencing back then? That's a hard question.
2: That is. That's a mirror question.
1: It is, and we need to answer that in terms of making sure we're not taking God's name in vain. What happened next?
2: Well, they took the name of the Lord and polluted it by making
1: offerings to an image and celebrating. And so... The first thing that happened is the doubt, the doubt about God, okay? No other gods before me. The second thing is they pursued idolatry, just like the second commandment. The third thing is they polluted God's name by making offerings to this image. They carried his name in an empty fashion. We're looking at Exodus chapter 32, uh, verses uh, uh, 3, I'm sorry, verses the end of verse 4 and verse 5.
2: And they said, This is your God, O Israel, who brought you up from the land of Egypt. Now when Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it, and Aaron made a proclamation and said, Tomorrow shall be a feast to the Lord. So the next day they rose early and offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings, and the people sat down to eat and to drink and rose up to play. Well, Rick, the first word God in this, these verses is Elohim, which means the mighty one, which is, that's what they called the calf. Right. Holy cow, I get where the <laughs> phrase came from now.
1: Yeah, <laughs> no, yeah, but, yeah. yeah, yeah but, but you ser- know what, But yeah, I know, but what you say, I mean, it helps us to, to grasp, like, where did that phrase come from? Well, think about <laughs> well, that. All right, go ahead.
2: <laughs> you know, but let's get serious. Now, Aaron, I think he tried to refocus the people to have a feast to God, and that where God is Jehovah, Um, Not Elohim, a mighty one. But how did that play out when he tried to kind of try to steer it back to Jehovah?
1: Yeah, not well. Not well. They were focused on the idolatry, and they stayed with the idolatry. And this was taking God's name in vain. Because here uh, Aaron proclaims, Tomorrow shall be a feast to the Lord God Almighty, Jehovah God, and yet they sang and danced and before the calf. And it was it was a heinous sin that started with doubt, turned into idolatry, and ended in taking God's name in vain. And we look at that and we say, "Oh, shame on them. All right, take a look in the mirror. Do our outward actions ever bring us to claiming the name of God as we serve any kind of pagan idolatries? It doesn't have to be an actual physical, Uh, item, but do we have any idolatries that we serve to cause us to take God's name lightly without the seriousness of the promise of doing so? Think about it. This is big. Mm. This is hard. This is depressing. (laughs) It can Mm -hmm. be. And so God is angry, rightfully so. Strong anger. He expresses it to Moses in Exodus 32, verses 7 to 8, and then we'll go to verse 10.
2: Then the Lord spoke to Moses, Go down at once, for your people whom you brought up from the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. They have quickly turned aside from the way which I commanded them. They have made for themselves a molten calf and have worshipped it and have sacrificed to it and said, This is your God, O Israel, who brought you up from the land of Egypt. Now then, let me alone, that my anger may burn against them, and that I may destroy them, and I will make of you a great nation.
1: So you think about that. God is angry. He says, okay, to Moses. He says, and it's interesting what he says. Okay, let me alone. I'm going to destroy them. I'll make a great nation out of you. And we think, okay, you know, they're, they're about to get it. But let's ask the question about ourselves. Do we ever stop to think about the mighty insult that our actions and disloyalty Bring to God, when we put those pagan things in front and and look at those first, and then, as we say we carry the name of God, we are we're we're doing something entirely differently. Where are we with that?
2: Rick, was God really going to destroy the Israelites, or was he just testing Moses? You know, I think he was testing Moses,
1: you know, I think you're right. The way it's it the phraseology now, let me alone that my anger may be may may burn. Now, could, could Moses stop God? I mean, come on. <laughs> no way. <laughs> but he's, he's, he's telling Moses, essentially, without you standing up, this is what's going to happen. And Moses does what he is built to do, because he loves God. He honors God. He reverences God. And so Moses covers the people's folly by fulfilling those first three commandments that they were just breaking this is fascinating to me as we look at what happens next here's moses response to god what's what's the first part
2: well moses is, uh re-establishes god's mighty presence as the only deliverer and god of israel
1: okay he does that okay we're looking at exodus 32 verses 11 through uh 11 actually just verse 11.
2: Then Moses entreated the Lord as God and said, O Lord, why does your anger burn against your people whom you have brought out from the land of Egypt
1: with great power and with a mighty hand? He says, he says, uh, entreated the Lord God, he says, you, O Lord, have brought them from the land of Egypt. What is he doing? He has no other gods before God. And he's telling God unequivocally, you are almighty. So he reestablishes God's position with the nation of Israel. So here's the question for us. Do we continually establish God as overall? That's what Moses did. What happens next?
2: Moses establishes the idolatrous Egyptians as all too willing to draw false conclusions about the
1: God Almighty. So now we go to the second commandment. Moses reestablishes that by pointing out the idolatrous Egyptians have no no graven images the Egyptians were famous for this verse 12 of Exodus 32
2: why should the Egyptians speak saying with evil intent he brought them out to kill them in the mountains and to destroy them from the face of the earth turn from your burning anger and change your mind about doing harm to your people
1: so the way Moses presents it to God is to say those idolatrous Egyptians we'll have a heyday with misrepresenting what you do here. And so he's saying, idolatry has no place in your plan. So he's reestablishing having no idols, no graven images, because he's condemning what the Egyptians would say and think and do. Now we go to the taking God's name in vain part. How does he reestablish that?
2: Well, what, what about us? Is there a practical... Um question for us
1: glad you asked that question because i was supposed to ask that question and i (laughs) forgot so let me rewind so so here's the thing do we realize what the world would likely conclude if we give cause for god to be angry with us so if we're acting in such a way that it would induce god to be upset with us what kind of reflection on god is that if we carry his name do we think about yeah do we think about the insult to his name Oh. So,
2: All right, now, now the third let's get, piece. Let's get to All the third right. piece. Moses lifts God's name up by rehearsing the mighty promises God gave to Israel's ancestors.
1: Now, what he's doing is he's saying, okay, this is holding God's name up reverently, not taking his name in vain. Again, ex- Exodus 32, this is Moses' response to God uh, in verse 13 and 14. Remember
2: Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servants to whom you swore by yourself, and said to them, I will multiply your descendants as the stars of the heavens, and all this land of which I have spoken, I will give to your descendants, and they shall inherit it forever. So the Lord changed his mind about the harm which he said he would do to his people.
1: So it's a beautiful thing that Moses says, remember Abraham and Isaac and Israel, those that you promised, because you are God, and those who faithfully followed after you, to give this nation birth, and you know he's he's putting God's name where it belongs in a reverential position. So what Moses has done is he's reestablished God as being the only God. He's taken idolatry out of the picture and reestablished the name of God as sacred to Abraham. Isaac, Jacob, who was renamed Israel, Moses, and therefore the people. God sees this in Moses and says, okay, you get what the commandments are about. I will not destroy them. And I think it was a wonderful test that Moses passed with flying colors because he believed in the commandments in his own heart. Wrapping up this segment, Jonathan, go ahead.
2: Holding God's sacred name, doubt is easily and often the place where the slippery slope of hypocrisy finds its beginning. The only remedy is to re-establish what is true and righteous.
1: The only remedy is re-establishing what's true and righteous when we have doubt. We've got to be focused and careful about such things. Remedying doubt is not an easy thing to do. Sometimes we need the help of others to see through their eyes. What about
2: within my church environment? Am I ever set up to take God's name in vain there?
0: Did you know we have one-page companion Bible studies for our most recent podcast episodes? Listen to the episode. Follow along with our CQ Rewind show notes. And for your own bite-sized Bible study or group study, check out the Bible study questions content. Go to ChristianQuestions.com and click on Bible study in the main menu. Have some study time and then contact us with any additional questions or comments. Now let's continue the conversation.
1: All right, this is difficult territory as so many denominations have diversified views of the overriding message of the Bible. Our next approach to taking God's name in vain has to do with the leadership within Old Testament Israel. There were many lessons that we can learn from them as to what not to do. So what we're going to talk about in this segment, folks, don't try this
2: at home. Our next focus will be in upholding God's sacred name theme is, be alert to following
1: without thinking. Following without thinking. We do it too easily in all aspects of life, and this is a message about learning to take God's name reverently and not in vain that we have to pay close attention to. I'm going to go to a quick soundbite from The Door, and again, it's about the words what should I do when people around me use God's name in vain? And that's a question that people ask us at our website all the time. You know, what do you do when? What do you do if this this individual? Uh, he's he's a preacher. He has he has a very uh, very lighthearted, nice way of dealing with such things. Let's listen.
0: Uh, even now, if I go into a uh, gas station, get a tire fixed or something, and there's three guys in there, and one of them's talking now if he's not talking to me i don't say anything but if one of them's talking to me and he says gd i say with a smile praise the lord blessed be his name and he keeps talking he says that sucks such so-and-so and And i said bless him god take care of him bless him just keep smiling just keep talking just conversation, not rebuke the guy after about the third time he looks at me you know and I said, oh, I'm just balancing out the scale. You cuss God, I bless him. You're just keeping it all balanced. Go ahead, what were you saying? <laughs> and I don't act rude to him, you know. I, it's 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 kind of funny. But they get the point. You know what? They never cuss again when I walk in. <laughs> there he is.
1: You know, that's such a, an interesting practical way of making light, but letting somebody know that, yeah, that's not really kind of where I'm at. And And, and you know, Jonathan, for me, when, when people do that they take God's name in vain, uh, sometimes I'll say, depending on the circumstance and, you know, if I'm in the conversation and all that, I said, oh, okay, I didn't know you were praying. That's good because they're, you know, mentioning God. And they're like, what? Well, I, you know, <laughs> you mentioned Jesus Christ. You mentioned God. And so, I you know, I just thought you might be praying, you know, and, and, and it's like, but then the, something happens. And, you know, and if you're not coming down on someone but just making a suggestion— you can get them understand that, you know, these things are important to me. You know, Jesus as God's only begotten Son is important to me. God as Jesus' Father, as, 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 the, as the ultimate power in heaven, is important to me. And when you take it carelessly, it hurts my heart. Just, just a what if, you know, just, you know. I like
2: it. I like it. That's a great way to do it, Rick.
1: So let's go back to the Old Testament. Now let's jump way ahead. We were at the very beginning of the nation of Israel. Now we're going to go to the last book of the Old Testament, and we're going to see the final messages of the prophet Malachi focusing on what was so wrong with the priesthood and then prophesying the coming of Jesus. That's what happens in the book of Malachi. So the priesthood stood accused of despising God's name. That's a strong accusation. They were taking his name in vain. Here's what it says in Malachi 1, and and this is going to be verse 6, and this is kind of like visualize it as a conversation between God and the priesthood of that time.
2: A son honors his father and a servant his master. Then, if I am a father, where is my honor? And if I am a master, where is my respect? Says the Lord of hosts to you, O priests, who have despised my name. But you say, how have we despised your name?
1: So there, God is saying, look, if I'm the father, where's my honor? If I'm the master, where's my respect? You're despising my name. And the priests are saying, well, wait, how did we do that? First of all, what does it mean to despise his name? It means to disesteem. Okay, the priesthood here is defensive. How is it possible for us to disesteem your name? I mean, we're doing the things, we're following the commandments. What could we possibly be doing wrong that is disesteeming your name? And look, here's a hint. When we start to argue with God, it's Trouble. never good. Yeah, you know, <laughs> let's just let's just take that as a hint for ourselves. You yeah. know, when we argue with the principles of God, uh, I would back up a little bit on that. Just, to, just a word to the wise. God's reply is to point out actually what's obvious. You are offering that which by law is unacceptable. Here's what God says to them, Malachi chapter 1, verses 7 through 9. Remember, this is the priesthood. This is not the people. These are the leaders of the people. Go ahead.
2: You are presenting defiled food upon my altar,
1: but you say, how have we
2: defiled you? In that you say, the table of the Lord is to be despised. But when you present the blind for sacrifice, is it not evil? When you present the lame and sick, is it not evil? Why not offer it to your governor? Would he be pleased with you, or would he receive you kindly, says the Lord of hosts? But now will you not entreat God's favor that he may be gracious to us, with which an offering on your part, will he receive any of you kindly,
1: says the Lord of hosts? So there's a little bit of a sarcastic conversation going on, but it's making a very powerful point. Um, and first of all, he talks, the, the, the Scripture talks about offering polluted offerings. Matthew Henry's commentary has some good comments on that.
2: Polluted, either by ill-managing it and misordering what is good and allowable, or accepting what is disallowable and forbidden because of its blemishes.
1: And so, you know, they were offering things that they shouldn't have been offering, even though they were fulfilling, okay, you need to sacrifice an animal. Well, here's an animal. Well, well,
2: they should know better, Rick, because in Leviticus, it gave them the exact information they needed
1: t- to follow properly, right? It did. So the, the law was abundantly clear that their yes. offerings were to be the best of their flocks. The point of the offering is it was supposed to cost them something. Let's go to Leviticus now that you brought it up. Leviticus 22, verses 21 and 22. When a man offers
2: a sacrifice of peace offering to the Lord to fulfill a special vow or a free will offering of the herd or of the flock, it must be prepared to be accepted. There shall be no defect in it. Those that are blind or fractured or maimed or having a running sore, or eczema, or scabs, you shall not offer to the Lord,
1: nor make of them an offering by fire on the altar to the Lord. Now, this is very, very plain and straightforward. You offer unblemished animals when you offer sacrifices, period. Because Israel was a physical nation with physical laws— regarding what they owed God. It's easy to look back and see their selfish keeping of what was best for themselves. With God as their deliverer, this was never appropriate because the law made it, like you said, unbelievably plain. God was calling. God was actually calling for somebody to put a stop to this. He is angry with them. And you you read up to Malachi 1, verse 9. Here's what he says in Malachi 1, verse 10.
2: Oh, that you were one among you who would shut the gate, that you might not uselessly kindle fire on my altar. I am not pleased with you, says the Lord of hosts, nor will I accept an offering from you. So, Rick, what God is saying is this. Lock the door. No more sacrifice. I'm done. Your sacrifices are pathetic.
1: Yeah. Yeah, they they were pathetic before God. And you think, okay, you know, is God being nitpicky here? Let's think about this. Okay, God Almighty, Deliverer, Creator of all things. Suppose you want to give a gift to somebody who's done magnificent things for you personally. Maybe you were down and out, and this person lifted you up and gave you opportunity and gave you you some money to get back on your feet and walked you through and was there the whole way as you went through the process. So now you want to say thank you. Okay, so you with me so far? yes absolutely okay and you know this this would be exciting right you want to say thank you because they say you want to show full appreciation for being helped and so you have this ming vase okay now a ming vase you know from the ming dynasty it's very old very ancient very beautiful and you want to give it to this person only problem is it's broken it's in 17 pieces So you bring the pile of pieces and say, this is a Ming vase. Now, I know it doesn't look like one. It's in 17 pieces, but you could glue it. Is that? What? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, right. (laughs) Does that show honor and respect? No. Uh, And that's what they were doing. There was no honor. There was no respect. And God called them out and said, look, lock the doors of my temple. Don't even come in there because what you're doing is so disrespectful taking God's name in vain. That's what they did. So what happened to Israel's spiritual leadership? It's interesting that what happened is they again, as we the, the recurring theme is, they violated these first three commandments. The first commandment they violated, how did they do that?
2: Well, they were living under the law, but not by the law. Their faith in
1: the one God was lacking, Rick. Okay, no other gods before me, but they're, they're living under the law, but not by it. About idolatry. How did they break that in this in this scenario?
2: Well, they challenged God's accusations. Now, as you said before, don't ever try that. (laughs) They had idols of pride and gain driving them.
1: Idols of pride and gain. That's what was driving them, not serving God. And then breaking that third commandment about taking God's name in in vain. How is that uh, shown here?
2: Well, by their thoughts, idols, and actions, they despised God's name. They held his name in vain. They did.
1: They despised, they disesteemed his name. Okay, that's Israel. That's in Malachi. That's the Old Testament. What about us? All right, folks, time to get the mirror. What do I see when I look at my personal church environment? Do I see a spiritual environment that strives for the highest sacrifices toward God, or do I see us being led as the priesthood-led Israel? So again, let's go back to those first three commandments and ask questions about what's my environment that I choose to go to look like regarding the first commandment, have no other God before me.
2: What is the spirit of our environment? Is it godly first, last, and everything
1: in between? Is it all about honoring God? Is it? Let's let's be serious when we ask the questions, and these are hard questions to ask. The second commandment about having idolatry involved because we have, we are doing less than taking God's name in a reverential way. How could that be reflected in this church environment?
2: Well, Rick, is there rationalization reasoning that refocuses only
1: on the idolatrous use of personal comfort? Are we focusing? on an idolatrous use of personal comfort in our church environment. Now look, I'm not arguing that personal comfort is not allowed. That's not what we're saying. But there is an idolatrous use of personal comfort when we start to go to Scripture and say, well, God promised us physical abundance if we worship him. If you're a sacrificing Christian, the answer is no, he didn't. That's an idolatrous use of physical comfort. And then the third commandment, taking God's name in vain. How can that be happening in our church environment?
2: Do our thoughts, idols, and actions cause us to merely claim God's name through Jesus instead of signing our name to the sacrificial contract of upholding the name of God through Jesus? And uh, this fits well, Rick, with our topic from last week. Uh, Please see CQ episode 1135, Are Praise and Worship Necessary to Be a Faithful Christian. What we learned was praise and worship are a way of life, and today's subject is also showing that same thing. It's not just having our words be God-honoring. It's about our entire life and what we do to represent godliness.
1: So it's really important to understand, and we're asking the question about our church environment because, folks, we think it's important for every one of us to examine, what do I subject myself to? Is it godly principles in line with those first three commandments that we have been really harping on through this entire podcast. And back to our Matthew
2: Henry commentator, he describes five categories of actions that constitute taking God's name in vain. Number one, hypocrisy, making a profession of God's name but not living up to that profession. Two, covenant breaking, if one makes promises to God yet does not carry out the promised actions. Three, rash swearing. Four,
1: false swearing. And five, using the name of God lightly and carelessly. So, those are five really important aspects to this whole thing. But again, we're asking the question for each of us not to look at somebody else's experience and say, aha, look at what I can see over there. Let's not do that. Let's look at our own experience. Let, let me look at mine and say, am I in an environment that is actually taking God's name in vain? Am I? Going to church nominally in name only. Is that what I am doing? And if I am, what am I going to do about it? So upholding God's sacred name, Jonathan, let's wrap up this segment.
2: To follow without critically thought and scriptural focus can be a doorway to taking God's name in vain. If we call ourselves Christians, then our following must reflect the footsteps of Jesus.
1: That is what our Christianity must be about and if we make it about other things and we go down other pathways are we not taking god's name in vain carrying it but not representing it as we walk the footsteps or are 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 supposed to be walking in the footsteps of jesus so this sounds like a parent telling their child to be aware of their surroundings think question and consider
2: doubts and careless following get us into trouble What else keeps us from keeping God's name sacred?
0: Our YouTube channel has a lot going on. Go to ChristianQuestions.com slash YouTube, featuring new releases every week. Check out our playlists like CQ Kids, Moments That Matter, and CQ Bible 101. Plus, we have even more new series content planned to roll out soon. So stay tuned at ChristianQuestions.com slash YouTube.
1: As we've discussed, doubt and following unprincipled leadership have a foundation in external influence. Now, it's important to delve into what we ourselves can do to cause us to not fully honor God's sacred name. We all have an ego, and that can be trouble.
2: Our egos can push us the wrong way, or we can decide to tame it. And that brings us to our upholding God's sacred name theme. Eradicate the idolatry of
1: ego by hallowing God's name. Now, folks, of all the things we're talking about, I think this ends up being the core of solving any God's name in vain issues that we might have. Eradicate the idolatry of ego by hallowing God's name. How do we do that? Well, let's look at it. Ego is a constant contributor when it comes to taking God's name in vain. It just is. Satan's ego challenged God, and the priesthood in Malachi that we just saw in the last segment saw themselves more worthy of the best offerings than the God that they were supposed to be honoring and worshiping. Malachi 1 verse 14, again, brings us back to that scenario and reminds us how far off they were.
2: But cursed be the swindler, who has a male in his flock and vows it, but sacrifices a blemished animal to the Lord, for I am a great king, says the Lord of hosts, and my name is feared among the nations. Rick, God is calling them deceptive thieves. They're supposed to give him the best instead of keeping it for themselves.
1: That, that's, a, that's a harsh accusation, but that is what taking God's name in vain produces. It's deceptive thievery by robbing God of the honor he deserves in the expressions of our life
2: and Rick looking in the mirror I'm looking in the mirror am I a swindler okay um when i say things that i shouldn't say that doesn't honor god or i think things or i do things i'm thinking wow how how could i do that what what was i thinking how could i do this and i represent God and and his son.
1: You know, and and that's a that's a that's a hard hard question. And when we look at ourselves and say, "Well, can I be like that?" Here's the point, folks, and this is really important. The fact that you're looking in the mirror asking that question and pleading before God saying, "What is wrong with me?" is a wonderful sign because that is a God-honoring recognition of our own sin.
2: So remorse is really what you're talking about. Yes,
1: you need to have remorse for those things. And we need to come before the throne of grace because we will be forgiven. And the the point then is to stand up and do better and to honor God's name more fully and in a stronger way. And then, you know what? We may fall down again. So get up again and ask for forgiveness. Every time we get up again in spirituality, we are pleasing to God.
2: And there's a chance we may learn from our mistakes.
1: If we choose to lead our ego and to tame our ego, yes, there is a chance. Here's the thing. To promise something of value to God and purposefully deliver something else is taking his name in vain. That one might belong on the refrigerator, okay? I like that. (laughs) Let us always remember what our signature promises we will do. When we signed on to be a footstep follower of Jesus, we signed on for something very important. Let's go back to the words again go back to another uh, soundbite. This is this one is from Amazing Facts. What does it mean to take God's name in vain? You see, oh.
3: to take a person's name in vain means that you say, uh, "I am,
2: I belong to this person, like used to be." Not so much more uh, as it used to be, but a, a woman would marry a man; she would take his last name. But if she takes his last name and she runs around with another man, she's taking his name in oh. vain. So that's one understanding, but it certainly does include that you should never take the name of the Lord, in a. and they used to make vows, and they'd make oaths, and they'd make promises, and they'd use the Lord's name, and you should never use the Lord's name in an oath or a vow or promise, and then break it. But then also, it is certainly true that we should never take the name of the Almighty on our lips
3: irreverently.
1: So he covers several things, and I'm glad he brought up the things about, you know, in in Jewish times, you know, making oaths and vows and so forth. And you never do anything with God's name involved that you are not deadly serious about. You know, marriage is a covenant of God. It is a promise made in the presence of God. You're not supposed to break that because it's in the presence of God, period. That's how powerful that is. So ego has a lot to do with this. Ego is everything and what we do with our ego. The ego of the example that we're going to look at now, and this is a New Testament example, and it's a sad New Testament example. The ego of this example describes the ego of some that would show up, um, or that has shown up 400 years later. So in other words, let let me rephrase that comment. Malachi was 400 years ago. You fast forward 400 years, and now we're in the New Testament, now Jesus has come, now the church has begun, and now we're in Acts chapter 5, verses 1 through 5, and talking about uh, Christian followers named Ananias and Sapphira, and their their focus on trying to pull a fast one over on God. This does not end well. Acts 5, 1 to 5.
2: But a man named Ananias, with his wife Sapphira, sold a piece of property and kept back some of the price for himself with his wife's full knowledge. And bringing a portion of it, he laid it at the apostles' feet.
1: Okay, so Ananias, he's a converted follower of Christ. And at that point, many of the followers of Christ were saying, okay, you know what? Let's take care of one another and there was this movement to just to sell your belongings so everything everybody had exactly what they needed and it, you know ideally it sounds like a wonderful thing to do so he says he what it says is he kept back some of the price he said he sold it for you know you know $50,000 but he only sold it you know, he said he sold it for 50 but he sold it for 75,000 so he had something in his pockets but he said before god Here was the price, and here's all of the money. And here's the Apostle Peter.
2: But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep some of the price of the land? While it remained unsold, did I not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not under your control? Why is it that you have conceived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to God. And as he heard these words... Ananias fell down and breathed his last, and
1: great fear came over all who heard it. That's pretty dramatic. The guy literally drops dead at being exposed for such incredible hypocrisy, proclaiming it before God. Now, there's, there's, there's several very important points that we need to lay out on this, Jonathan. Let's get started with that.
2: Sure. The reason for selling of property was to engage in supporting all believers as they had need.
1: Okay, so the reason wasn't to just raise money. It was to help people, the followers of Christ, in whatever needs they had.
2: And interesting enough, the selling of the property was not required.
1: It wasn't. It was something that was to be optional, and that's what Peter said. While the property was yours, was it not your own? In other words, you, you didn't have to do this. You chose to do this. And the giving of all proceeds was not required either. He said, you know, you could have said, I sold her for this and I kept that. Peter was, what, what Ananias was doing was, was terribly, terribly, terribly devious. You know, that, that word you were talking about, the disesteeming God and, and, and the, the swindler, that's what Ananias was doing.
2: And the last point, Rick, as this was an act of spiritual giving, honesty and intre- integrity were required.
1: See, you had to have honesty and integrity in this, and Ananias didn't. Later on, Sapphira comes in, doesn't know what happened, Peter asks her the same questions, she lies, she tries to swindle, and she's all, she also falls down dead. And you know, what's the lesson? They took God's name in vain. They made it, they held it in an empty way. We're we're going to say this, we're going to proclaim this, but all the while, our heart is there. It has nothing to do with godliness. Hard, harsh, harsh lesson. So we talked about hallowing God's name. Let's, Let's spend the rest of the segment on that. The sacredness of God's name has the power to completely reset our thinking if we let it. God's name, his sacredness of his name can help us reset our thinking. Let's look at Matthew chapter 6, verses 7 through 9. These are some of the most, some of these verses are some of the most quoted in all of the Bible.
2: And when you are praying, do not use meaningless repetition as the Gentiles do, for they suppose that they will be heard for their many words. So do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then in this way, our Father who is art in heaven, hallowed be your name.
1: Okay. Jesus is teaching us to pray. And first of all, what does it mean to hallow? Hallowed be thy name. What does that mean? And then we'll talk a little bit about the first line of this prayer. Well, well, Rick, it means to make holy, to venerate. There's something very powerful when you truly make something holy, when you venerate it, you lift it up to a point where it's not even touchable. It's It's so sacred to you. And here's the interesting thing. And Jonathan, we were talking about this the other day, and this, this kind of like just exposed itself as, as something that neither one of us had ever seen before. It's awesome. The first 10 words of, of, of the Lord's Prayer, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. In those 10 words, Jesus sums up the first three commandments as they should be. The first words, Our Father, fulfill the first commandment, because you have no other God before you. The second words, who art in heaven, or who is in heaven, are the opposite of the idolatry of the second commandment. He's in heaven. No need for images. God's in heaven. That's where he is. The third word's, hallowed be your name, turns the taking God's name in vain of the third commandment on its head. Because when you hallow God's name, you do exactly the opposite. So Jesus is teaching us in the first line of the Lord's Prayer to hold up those first three commandments. And by following very, with, with, with heartfelt dedication, the, 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 the sentiments of those first three things, Jonathan, that puts us in a place where we can now begin to, to fix what's broken. Oh, no-
2: that, that is amazing how Jesus just put the focus where it needed to be. Have that holy awe. Yes. And, and hold on to it. Yeah,
1: yeah. It's no accident that the veneration of God's name should be the opening of our prayers, when, and and it should not be done in a in a in a flippant way or a casual way. Hallowed, sacred, be your name. That's going to help us. And for Christians, it's not just about God's name, as we we alluded to earlier. It's also about humbling ourselves as followers of Jesus and to hallow Him as the Son, the only Son. Of God. Uh, 1 Peter 3, 15 through 16. But sanctify
2: Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asked you to give an account for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and reverence, and keep a good conscience, so that in the thing in which you are slandered, those who revile you, your good behavior in Christ, will be put to shame.
1: Okay, sanctify, hallow Christ as Lord in your hearts. We're supposed to reverence God's name, and we're supposed to reverence Christ as Lord in our hearts. If somebody is Lord in your heart, that means they are are in control. This is how we take our ego and we tame it, by looking up to God and reverencing his very name, by hallowing, by sanctifying Christ's presence in our hearts so that we can try to be as Christ-like, as our imperfection will let us. And when we fail, and we will, we can Mm -hmm. get up and try again. Upholding God's sacred name to wrap up this segment.
2: Personal ego is part of us. We can choose to follow it or lead it. Hallowing God's name, not just in prayer, but
1: always, gives us the best opportunity to lead it. Ego exists. Are you going to follow it, or are you going to lead it by following Christian spiritual principles. This all seems to come down to unequivocally knowing what's right, awareness, and intentional self-control.
2: We've seen several examples of what not to do. What about examples of reverencing God's name,
0: It's been a privilege and exciting interacting with our listeners all over the world. Reach out to us anytime at ChristianQuestions.com. In addition to always continuing the conversation on our website, in social media, and our YouTube channel, learn more about becoming a Christian Questions ambassador. There are several impactful ways you can help us continue to spread the gospel message. Go to ChristianQuestions.com and click on Support CQ in the top navigation menu. Join our incredible team of volunteers and find out more. Now back, to Rick and Jonathan.
1: The holy reverence of God's name is actually a universally recognizable phenomenon. Now, by universally recognizable, I don't mean throughout the world. I mean throughout the universe. I'm talking the big picture, okay? Not only does the Bible give us human instruction as to honoring God's name, it gives us literally universal examples as well.
2: Our Holding God's Sacred Name theme is replace in name-only recognition of God with wholehearted reverence of God.
1: Okay, and that's what we want to focus on for this final segment, wholehearted reverence of God. Where do we start? Well, let's start with some of the bigger picture, okay? All of creation reverences the name of God. How do we know? Psalms tells us. Psalm 19, uh, verses 1 and 2
2: the heavens are telling of the glory of god and their expanse is declaring the work of his hands day to day pours forth speech and
1: night to night reveals knowledge the heavens tell the glory of god their expanse is declaring the work of his hands just the expansiveness of it all you've got to say oh my goodness how could that possibly be that's how big god is psalm 8 verses 3 and 4 when
2: I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have ordained, what is man that you take thought of him, and the son of man that
1: you care for him? When I see the magnificence of the heavens, and, and, and the heavens, the work of your fingers, I mean, think about the, the poetry in that, the moon and the stars, which you set in place. Why do you even pay attention to us? We're so small. It gives us a sense of hallowing God's name. You know, the angelic hosts also revere the name of God. And in Isaiah 6, 1 to 3, we have a prophetic vision. So there's there's picture language here, but follow through once we get to that picture language with the honor that's given to God.
2: In the year of the King Uzziah's death, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, lofty and exalted, with the train of his robe filling the temple. Seraphim stood above him, each having six wings. With two, he covered his face, and with two, he covered his feet, and with two, he flew. And one called out to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The
1: whole earth is full of his glory. I mean, think about that. Holy, holy, holy. You just can't express it enough. And this is a heavenly picture reverencing the name of the Almighty Creator. Let us not for a moment, not for a second, take his name in an empty sort of way. Even the mightiest of the spirit beings, even amongst them there's a sense of awe and submission in the presence of God Almighty. It's just so powerful. One final soundbite from Desiring God, um, and this is, how do you define the sin of taking the Lord's name in vain? And this, this gives a little bit more of a, of, of a, a broader perspective than the other soundbites have so far.
3: Well, that's a quote from the Ten Commandments. Don't take the name of the Lord your God in vain. The idea of vanity, and I think the Hebrew does carry this connotation, is don't empty the name. And so, yeah, I think that's right. It doesn't just refer to a certain tone of voice or a certain use of the word. It's dealing with God and speaking of God in a way that empties him of his significance. And so that would include both throwaway words, God or Jesus. Or it would also include, I think, speaking about him in trifling and flippant ways. Not just swear ways, but cheap ways, low ways, insignificant ways that just treat him like a commodity.
1: You know, and and I like that last statement. We cannot treat God like this commodity that, you know, we can take whatever we need from. And, you know, it's always going to be there. We have to have such a, such a loftiness attached to our approach to God. And, you know, you know he talked about not taking his name, and, you know, a lot, of, a lot of what he said was about words. But I submit to you that so much more is about our actions. So much more is about our actions. The causes of our trials are the truest revealers of how we carry the name of God and the, the name of Christ with us. How do we know? Well listen to First Peter chapter 4 verses 12 through 16 and Jonathan, let's read 12 and 13 first, pause there for a second and then we'll pick up with uh, verses 14 through 16.
2: Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you, which comes upon you for your testing as though some strange thing were happening to you, but to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing. So that always, also, at the revelation of his glory, you may rejoice with exaltation.
1: So he starts this out by saying, don't be surprised when your trials are painful. Don't be surprised when they hurt, when they test you, when they stretch you, when you feel like you're going to break. Don't be surprised at that, as though some weird, strange thing happened. No, no, no. This is sharing in the sufferings of Christ. Because remember, that's what Jesus went through. So don't be surprised, but we need to learn to rejoice. Now, rejoicing doesn't necessarily mean like, hoo-hoo, I'm having so much fun right now as my whole life falls apart. Rejoicing is that inner peace that looks up and realizes God's providence is over your life. And now, here's a testing ground for our trials. Here's the the caveat, if you will, that you have to be— careful of. Verses 14 through 16 of 1 Peter 4.
2: If you are reviled for the name of Christ, you are blessed, because the Spirit of glory of God rests on you. Make sure that none of you suffers as a murderer, or a thief, or an evildoer, or a troublesome meddler. But if anyone suffers as a Christian, he is not to be ashamed, but is to glorify God in this name.
1: So it's interesting that Peter adds, okay, now wait, I'm talking about your trials. But let me just explain that if you are suffering as a thief or a murderer or a troublesome meddler, if you are suffering because you did something wrong, yeah, that's not so much like, oh, give glory to God for this suffering because it's all for him. No, it's because you did something very wrong and there's consequences.
2: Absolutely.
1: Don't mix up the two. Make sure that we are focusing on reverencing God and that our suffering is because we are really trying the very best we can. None of us is perfect, but we're trying the best we can to honor him with everything in our lives. So the name that we carry, our signature, will always reflect that which we most highly honor. And we can we can tell if we carry God's name in vain by simply and honestly watching how we act. Nobody else needs to be watching. If I watch how I act, I can tell if I am reverencing God's name or not.
2: And Rick, an interesting point in an article I found, and this came from jccmb.com, which is from the Jewish Community Center, is that Jewish people do not write out the word God or his Hebrew names. When writing God, it is written as G-D without the O. The reason for this is to reverence him by not erasing destroying or desecrating the name of God or anything that represents him.
1: So the, the, there's an, an automatic physical reverence for the name of God, and I really appreciate that attitude. Do I have that attitude in my everyday existence, or do I tend to forget God's name when I'm going through my daily life Monday through Saturday and then suddenly remember again on Sunday? Not good. Am I taking God—am I a nominal Christian? Am I a Christian in name only, or am I holding God's name up? You know, there's so much in terms of a name when it comes to scriptures. Simon, the Apostle Simon, his name was changed to Peter. He was given a new name, Matthew 16, 16 through 18.
2: Simon Peter answered, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who was in heaven. I also say to you that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. And Rick, um, Jesus gave Peter a new name. He called him a rock, and we know it means a small stone. And, you know, thinking about it, he gained strength, I believe, in his Christian walk from that. He became solid, firm, immovable so that he could strengthen the brotherhood. He had responsibility, and he remembered, Jesus gave me this name. I've got to live up to that name Jesus gave me.
1: Yeah, I think, I think that's, that's incredibly relevant to see the name change and the character that needed, he needed to grow to grow into. He needed to become Peter. He needed to leave Simon and become Peter, become that one that others could rely upon. His name was to symbolize the change that would crystallize him. So what about us? Are we doing the same thing that Peter did to grow out of what we are and into what we may become by reverencing the name of God? Because it says in Scripture we're given a name change as well, Revelation 2.17.
2: He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, to him I will give some of the hidden manna, and I will give him a white stone and a new name written on that stone, which no one
1: knows but he who receives it. Each is given this white stone and a new name written on that stone. That's a powerful thought. Oh, that is. What am I doing? What am I doing? to earn a name change. Now look, we can't, you know, whatever we do is, is always going to be sinful. We, we earn. When I say the word earn, I want to be, be clear. It is through the grace of God and through the gift of the sacrifice of Jesus, which covers us. But what am I doing to have my life conform to a new spiritual name? The main thing we need to do is to honor and reverence the name of God and all of the things that go with it that's where we we, we we can begin to go. Am I worthy of this new name as expressed by my exalting of God's name every day of my life?
2: And Rick, just the phrase to, to look in the mirror.
1: What name does God have for you? Upholding God's sacred name, Jonathan, let's finish it up.
2: To highly exalt the name of God at all times is to be faithful to our calling for His name is His character. It is his wisdom, and it is his plan.
1: That's the point. Folks, honor God's name. Don't take his name in vain by acting in such a way that people will see you and say, and that's what they call a Christian? Don't be that person. Instead, reverence his name and all that you say, and all that you do, and all that you think. Be an example of examples. Be one of those that people look at and say, There's something about that person that honors whatever it is they believe in. They they may not even know. That's okay. What counts, my friends, is that we honor the name of God and not carry it in vain. Make sure you live up to your signature. Think about it. Folks, we do want to hear from you. Give us your feedback. Send us your questions in this episode and other episodes at ChristianQuestions.com. Also, a big part of spreading the word about our program is subscribing to Christian Questions in iTunes or Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, whatever your favorite podcast channel is. Please rate us and review us. Greatly appreciate it. Coming up next week, is faith built on reason or is reason built on faith? It's kind of like which came first, the chicken or the egg? Well, we'll talk about it next week.